We're in Matthew chapter 5, but we're going to back up real quick, and we're going to Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 17, it says this. Jesus began to preach, saying this. Everybody help me with these words. Saying. Saying. Look at someone next to you and say. <laughs> Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this word kingdom of heaven, just going ahead and letting you know, in the book of Matthew, you're going to see it either as the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And Matthew is going to say that over 50 times in his 28 chapters of the book of Matthew. Now, we're not going to go through all of that because we're only focusing in on 5, 6, and 7. But this, this is a huge theme of Jesus' preaching. So much of Jesus' preaching was built around this idea of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And we've got to have a framework for that first before we can go to the Sermon on the Mount because the Sermon on the Mount really is explaining this kingdom. But you need to understand what is the kingdom that we're talking about. And in order for us to do that, we've got to get in the DeLorean and we've got to even go back further. Okay. It's a Back to the Future reference for all those in the 80s. Okay. So we're going to go back. You following? Who's following? Everybody following so far? Okay. So we're getting the DeLorean, we're going to go back. We're going to go back to the very beginning. In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, Jesus, uh, God, God creates the heavens and the earth. God creates the, the, uh, the worlds. God creates water and ocean and air and animals. And then ultimately, God creates Adam. And he says, here, you have dominion and rule over this. And I want you to rule. I want you, and then he says, but it's not good for man to be alone. So God then puts him to sleep, takes a rib out, makes a woman. God creates Eve. And he says, okay, you guys, the two are now becoming one. Be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy. This is the kingdom that I want to build, that there's such an enjoyment that you're with me and I'm with you. And, and that was the kingdom. And then literally it lasts great for one page. That's as far as it gets. Because in chapter three, it all goes south. And Adam and Eve decide, here's the thing. Adam and Eve decide they don't like that kingdom. They're gonna create their own. And uh, you know the story. They partake of the fruits um, that God told them not to. They disobey. They wanna be their own rulers. They don't wanna be ruled by God. I wanna do my own thing. And in comes sin, in comes death, in comes pain, in comes all of the things that you and I are trying to avoid as much as we possibly can. But yet, in comes a new kingdom, a kingdom of self, a kingdom of this world. And so Jesus, uh, God has to kick them out of the garden, says, okay, you can't be in here anymore. Uh, like, there's some sin here that's got to be dealt with. And all of the Old Testament is literally God trying to pursue his people to get them back to be his people, the Jewish people, the people of Israel. He said, you're gonna be my people, I'm gonna be your God, I'm gonna, you're gonna serve me. And, and yet they continually, even as he would rescue them, they would push away from him going, no, we wanna rule ourselves. And all of the Old Testament is them kind of pushing away God and God pursuing them. And them pushing away God and God pursuing them. And eventually it comes to the point where we get this, this promise that we know even before the garden that there would come a Messiah, that there would become, come someone who would make all of this right and who would establish the rightful kingdom. And if you know the story, here's Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene. He is the Messiah. And so Jesus is introducing a new kingdom. He's like, you've been a part of the kingdom of this world. I want to introduce you to the kingdom of heaven. 
And the kingdom of heaven is here because I'm here. And where I am, God is with me and I am with him. And so I want you to experience this. And so he invites them to lay down their own kingdoms and to volunteer to come and follow and be a part of his kingdom. And so that's kind of where we're at now in Matthew chapter 5, or, or uh, Matthew chapter 4. And he's going to show them what this kingdom looks like in Matthew 4, 23 through 25. So what does this kingdom look like? Well, let me show you. He, speaking of Jesus, went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. What else was he doing? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Look, look at the next verse. And it says, so his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him all of the sick and all of the afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons, and he healed them. And the last verse says this, so a great crowd followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and the Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And so what is the kingdom? The kingdom is about teaching, preaching, proclaiming the good news. It's also about healing. Here's what the kingdom is. When the kingdom comes into your life, your life is never the same. You are radically transformed. You don't stay the same. And the, the, the sick and the oppressed and the demon-filled uh, demon, um, people were brought to Jesus. And yet, in the moment, Jesus heals them and he's introducing them to a brand new kingdom. All right, with all that being said, there's a crowd of people now following him. They're going everywhere, and you get Matthew chapter 5, the chapter that begins to open up what is the Sermon on the Mount. And it says in verse 1, which by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be preaching out of the ESV version for the majority of the 11 weeks, so just so you kind of know if you have a Bible on your phone, um, just know kind of where, where I'll be going. I'll, I'll do some other translations, but this is the one that I study out of. So I'm going to do a lot out of here. It says, the seeing the crowds... Remember, all of the crowds of people are following him. He went up to the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, and this is where we begin to go into the Sermon on the Mount. And for the next three chapters, Jesus is going to preach one of the most powerful and longest messages he's ever preached. And he's going to, here's, what he's, here's the whole premise of it. I'm going to give you the whole premise of the, of, of the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to get to the root issues of what's wrong with you and me. He's going, ready? For the next 11 weeks, Jesus is about to get up in our business. Some of you are like, uh, I, thought I might be on vacation for three months. Um, he's, he's coming for us. Watch this. Over the next three months, he's going to talk about anger. He's going to talk about money. He's going to talk about divorce. He's going to talk about greed. He's going to talk about worry. He's going to talk about judging people. Row, row. He's going to talk about, he's going to talk about sexuality. He's going to talk about a lot of stuff over these next three months. We'll dive a whole lot more into that in the weeks to come. But today we are starting with one of the most popular parts of the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes um, start with this one big word, and the word is Blessed. Blessed. Okay, now when you think of the word blessed, what do you think of? There's probably a lot of different things that maybe come to mind when you think of the word blessed. You know, when people ask you, hey, how you doing? And you go, blessed and highly flavored. Okay, um, 
You, you may, when someone sneezes, you say, yeah, that's so weird, isn't it? It's so weird. <laughs> uh, there was a superstition that somehow, like, if you sneeze, like, demons now could come in and you had to be blessed. So, God bless you. No demons in you. Okay. But demons come out. <laughs> How about this, that now we live in the South, so we hear this probably more in the South, uh, is that, that whenever someone, and, 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 and people think that it's a compliment, but it's really not a compliment, what is it? Bless your heart. Bless your heart. And you're like, oh, that's not, if you're from the North, that's not a compliment. If someone said that to you, it wasn't good, okay? Bless your heart. You see blessed everywhere if you're on social media and people maybe have hashtag blessed, hashtag blessed life. And usually that, that is like attached to like a picture of them around some water and maybe a drink <laughs> and calm. Maybe it's a picture of them with something new, a new house, a new job, a new wife, I don't know, <laughs> something new. Um, something in their life that was like, oh, hashtag, I am so blessed. I was thinking about this, like, if we were to ask most Americans, what does it mean to have the blessed life? And that's what I'm calling today's message, the blessed life. And you were to ask most of Western civilization, what does it mean to have the blessed life? Here's some answers I think that you would get. So I just started writing down some thoughts. Blessed are the rich in money, for they can do what they want. Blessed are those who don't go through hard times. Blessed are those who are strong, for that's how you win in life. Blessed are those who believe in themselves, for they will accomplish their goals. God, that's so much of what we see today, right? Blessed are the successful and the influential, for everyone will want to be like you. Blessed are those who are sexually fulfilled, for really there's no other path to joy. Blessed are those who go on vacations, for they are living the good life. Blessed, in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter five, is the Greek word. I'm gonna put it on the screen for you, for those that are note takers. It's the word makarios, makarios. And it actually literally means in the Greek, happy. Happy are those. And Jesus is beginning his whole sermon and I think he's trying to just connect with where people are. Hey, all of these people who are demon-possessed and sick and poor and outcast and these great crowds of people that are in very hard situation, he begins with, do you wanna be happy? How many know anytime you say you wanna be happy, everybody's coming to hear how to be happy? Blessed are you, happy are you. What a great state of well-being are you. Now, here's the deal, though. How many know Jesus is about to flip the script? Because you think happiness is one way, and how many know oftentimes what you think and what God thinks are very different? And so Jesus is about to pronounce nine blessings over the people that are listening. Most of it is a Jewish audience, and he's going to tell them, hey, if you, if you wanna be blessed, Here's how you can be blessed. And so this same message, of course, that he spoke over 2,000 years ago is applicable to us today. So now this is what I'm gonna do, okay? So let's buckle our seatbelts and let's go into the nine blessings. Now, for those who like things like sequentially, like one, two, three, four, you're not gonna like this message, okay? Because we're gonna look at the blessings in, not in order, 
okay? We're going to look at them out of order. But, but rest your soul. We're going to go through all nine of them, okay? Just in different order. And here's why we're going to do it in different order. Because I, I want to categorize them together. I'm going to give you three categories of what the blessed life is. What is it when Jesus says that you and I can have the blessed life? And I'm going to give you kind of three big statements, and then we'll unpack some of the, the, the blessings that are in with all of them. Are you good? Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, all right, I need, you to, I, I, need, I need you to respond with me, okay? All right, here we go. The blessed life, number one, starts on the inside, not on the outside. Starts on the inside, not on the outside. Happy are you, blessed are you. Happy are you when you get a promotion. Happy are you when you get a new job. Happy are you when you get the thing that you've been longing for for a long time. Happy are you when you get whatever. Happy are you when your kids all sleep at night. Happy are you. Happy are you. Y'all be praying for my youngest son, Joel. He woke up all last night with a, with a bad sickness, and so my wife's not here today. Uh, we were not happy. Um, it, was, it, was a hard, it was a hard night. But if our happiness, oftentimes our happiness is connected to what's happening. And so if you were to ask people, what does it mean to be happy? What does it mean to be blessed? Many of their responses would be circumstantial. As long as everything around me is happy, I'm happy. But Jesus flips the script and says, no, 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 no. Happiness and blessings has nothing to do with the outside and has everything to do with the inside. Now, here's the deal, though. We live in a culture that sells happiness to you. Like they sell it to you. Every advertisement you see is about your happiness. Hey, not happy? Buy this. Drink this. Wear this. Go to this. You're at home and you're on Facebook and you see all of the pictures of everybody at the beach. And you're like, that's happiness. Okay, you see all of the pictures of people smiling. You're like, I wish I was happy like that. You see the person with the new job or the new car or whatever it may be. And you go, oh, man, that would be so nice. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. All of us love little temporal, external happiness of things. We can enjoy those things. But Jesus is trying to get at something much deeper for us, and that is that you can be happy and blessed even when everything around you is not. Okay? So we're going to go to verse 5. Verse 5, okay, we're jumping out of order here, but that's all right. We're going to go through them all. It says, blessed are the meek. Everybody say the meek. The meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I don't know one guy when you're describing most guys and go, man, how would you describe him? That's a meek dude. That is a meek dude. Okay, most men don't want to be described as meek because it rhymes with weak. And I don't want to be anything around any, anybody that thinks that I could potentially be weak. But let me go ahead and clear it up for you what meek actually is. Let me give you some working definitions. I'll give you some throughout this series, but let me define meekness to you. Meekness, watch this, is the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. How many of y'all know that's not weak? Meekness is the power to absorb 
criticism and hard times and difficult days and not lash back. That's what it means to be meek. It's actually power under control. Now, one great illustration we have of this is by a guy by the name of Moses. Numbers chapter 12, I'm going to just give you just as a side note, Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, Moses has been called by God, anointed by God, appointed by God to lead God's people, his people. Remember, God's trying to always establish his kingdom, so he's bringing his people, heard his people were in the captivity for 400 years. Moses went, let my people go, delivers God's people out of slavery, okay? They go into the wilderness, all right? God is leading through Moses his people, to the promised land. And they get to a point where Moses' family, how many know sometimes your toughest critics are your family? Don't look at them right now if you're sitting with them, but they can be your toughest critics. And Moses' brother and sister have had enough with him. They're just like, I'm just done with Moses. Moses, Moses, Moses. Everybody talk about Moses. And so here we are, Watch, watch with me in verse one. Miriam and Aaron, who are Moses' brother and sister, spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. All right, they didn't like his decision of who he married. I know it's never happened in your family, but that's happened in Moses' family, okay? Everybody got an opinion, all right? Who, who should Moses be dating, all right? And they said, watch this, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? I mean, the chosen one. Is it all about Moses? Hasn't, can't God ask to actually speak through us too? I think it's time for a little Miriam time, some Aaron time. Why is it always Moses' time? God can speak to us too. Now watch this. Watch what happens. And the Lord heard it. The Lord heard it. Let me just pause and just say, anytime we are critical of other people, even when those people don't hear it, God still does. So anytime we're critical of a spouse, child, parent, boss, and we think maybe they won't hear it, it doesn't matter because God does. And the Lord hears it. Now, watch how that describes Moses. Now, the man Moses was very, there's the word, meek, more than all men that were on the face of the earth. Meek, the ability to have power to absorb adversity and criticism and not lash out. Moses was... And by the way, Moses didn't just get flack from his family. He also got flack from the million people that he led to. The Bible says that the Lord hears it. Now, I don't have time to go into the rest of this story uh, to read it all, but here's, the, here's what happens. Let me just give you what happens. God calls a meeting, okay, with Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. How many of you have ever heard, like, we're going to have a Jesus meeting? All right, like we're gonna have a come to Jesus meeting. God called a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> and Aaron and Moses and Miriam come and meet with God. And watch this. And God inflicts leprosy on Miriam. Y'all know what leprosy is? Like your skin falling off? Okay, 
And then, and then God says, I heard what you said. So he inflicts, he inflicts leprosy on them, uh, on, on her. Kicks her out of the camp. You have to stay out of the camp for seven days. And then you can, come, you can possibly come back. And when Moses sees this happen to his sister, Moses is the one who prays for Miriam to get healed. Talk about a meek person. I don't know about y'all. Someone is ridiculing your leadership. Someone is critiquing you and they get hemorrhoids. You're like, you deserved it. I hope you get, I hope you get more. And leprosy. Let's be honest, okay? Don't polish any halos in here, okay? Let's all be honest. They get in a car accident, you're like, karma? That's what we say, right? It's not. But that's... So the meekest man, the most powerful man, the one who is the leader, ended up blessing the one who is critical of him. How many know that's an upside down way of kingdom? Because right now, someone just cut you off in traffic, you want to let everybody know. (laughs) You got employees that talk bad about you, you need to go defend yourself. Hey, listen, if you always are trying to defend yourself, you never give God opportunity to defend you. And so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who have the power to crush people, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit, they bless people. We'll get more into this in a little bit, by the way. So, hey, how many know, yet again, that's an inside thing, not an outside thing. Then we go to verse 7. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Okay, what's mercy? Let's, let's define mercy. Mercy is an act of care and compassion for someone who is hurting. Mercy is an act of care and compassion for someone who is hurting. Blessed are you when you see the needs of others and you have the opportunity and the resources to meet it. Blessed are you when you are helping those that you can help. Blessed are you when you show mercy. Also on the other side of that, though, mercy is when you give somebody something even when they don't deserve it. You say, well, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, the last time I checked, we at one time, before we were followers of Jesus, were enemies of God, which is what Ephesians 2 calls us, that we were enemies of God. And yet, Ephesians 2 verse 4 says this, but God being rich in Mercy, mercy, not giving you what you do deserve. How am you glad that God did not treat you based off of how your sins deserve to be treated? Anybody? Okay, well, leprosy, okay, on the resting of there. You'll find out real quickly. I'm so grateful that God was, has been so rich in mercy towards me. So, so let me put it another way. Blessed are those who treat people the way God treated you. How many of you God forgave you? I'm just one, I, I, we should be batting 100% right now, okay? I, I don't know why we're at 80, but we should be batting at 100. God's healed you. God's provided for you. God's cared for you. God's delivered you. God's freed you. Yes? Go do it to others. Blessed are you when you do to others what God has done to you. Ready? Verse eight, we're going to get a little harder, by the way. (laughs) It's getting a little more. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Now, here's the difference between religion and the gospel. The religion, watch this, religion is all about what you need to do for God. The good news of the kingdom of the gospel is all what Jesus has done for you. Religion is all about what you need to do, what you need to perform to make you right with God. The gospel is about what all Jesus did and all he performed so that you can just receive his righteousness. Watch this, though. Religion is all about external behavior. The gospel is all about inward heart transformation. God is not after your behavior. Listen to me. I've had people go, what, is, what do you think God thinks about my drinking? What do you think he thinks about my smoking? What do you think he thinks? I go, I think God cares less. I don't think he cares about it at all. You know why? Because I think he's after your heart because if he can get your heart, he can get all that other stuff. God's not after behavior fixing. God is after heart transformation. That's what he's after. And so when he says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, you go, I can't ever be pure. Exactly. You and I can never be pure in heart. It, it, it requires Jesus to come. Because how I many know Jesus doesn't come to fix bad habits? He comes to purify hearts. He's not trying to get after your habits. He's trying to get after your hearts. And that's why the Bible says in, in Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart. Why do we need to guard our heart? Because if you don't guard your heart, you're not gonna be able to see God. But if you can guard your heart and allow God to do a transformation in your heart, it opens the heavens for you to see God. And if you've been having issues in your life where you're like, I just don't feel like I see God, maybe the question we need to ask is, have we allowed God to do something in our heart? Is there something in our heart blocking that? David, who was a man after God's own heart, that's how the Bible describes him, was also a man who committed adultery and was also a man who tried to cover up that adultery by committing murder. When he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, look at D David's prayer in Psalms 51. Create in me, this is David, when he was met with his sin, the impurities of his own heart, he says, God, create in me a what? A clean heart. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. So for those that are note takers, I want you to write this down. Jesus not only wants the blessed life for you, he wants the blessed life in you. He doesn't want it just for you externally. He wants you to live the blessed life inside of you. He wants you to have a blessed heart, a blessed mind, blessed motivations. Bless, the, the, the inward motivation is what's doing it. The blessed life starts inside, not outside. If your blessed life is always external, you're always at the mercy of what's happening externally. But if your blessed life is about what God is doing on the inside of you, no matter what happens on the outside, you can have a blessed life. Are y'all with me today? This is so huge here today. All right, number two, the blessed life is not an easy life. Welcome to American Christianity. That blessed means that you're healthy, wealthy, and wise. And literally throughout scripture, does God want you to be healthy? Yes. Does God want you to have money? Yes. Does God want you to be wise? Absolutely, he wants you all those things. But that's not the promised life that he's promised all of us. 
Because if you're healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you don't have Jesus, you don't have everything. So the blessed life is not an easy life because now let's look at verse four. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. What? Jesus, how am I blessed when tears are streaming down my face? God, how am I blessed when I have loss, when I have grief, when I have pain? How am I blessed? And Jesus says, you are blessed when you go through times of deep mourning because I am there with you. How many know the Bible says that God is near the brokenhearted? He's near the brokenhearted. And and that verse goes on, it says, and he rescues those who are crushed in spirit. How many of you have had a time in your life, if you've lived life long enough, where you have felt crushed in spirit? Anybody here? You've gone through something where you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna make it. I don't know how this, I'm gonna last. I don't know whether it was a death that happened and you're like, you just didn't see it coming and you don't know how you're gonna live life now and it was a loss of a family member or a spouse or a child or someone you dearly loved or it was a tragedy or something happened to you and you, you've got an affliction in your body, you lost something and you're in such deep, Mourning. Maybe it's a relationship that you lost or a job that you gave your life to. And you're in such a place of grief and mourning. And Jesus would say, you are blessed. And you're like, I don't feel it. He says, you are because you get to experience comfort. How many of you have gone through a season where it was such deep grief and mourning and yet you experience the comfort or the comfort of the great comforter. Anybody in here? Yeah. yeah, I have too. Hey, here's the deal. Watch this. You don't experience the comforter when you live comfortable. So Jesus calls us to a place beyond ourselves and says, hey, listen, when times are hard and you're mourning and grieving, it's okay. The comforter will step in. He'll be near to you. Then he goes into verse nine. Let's, let's skip over now to verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. There's a big difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Let me help you understand the difference. Your kids are fighting. They're going at each other. And you're like, you go to your room and you go to your room. And you think about it. Okay, that is peacekeeping. Okay, because mama wants some peace in the house. All right, so you go deal with yourself and you go deal with yourself. That's peacekeeping. Watch this. Peacemaking is, okay, everybody had enough time? Come back together. Hug it out. Mm -mm. Hug it out. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. For what? Stuff? No. (laughs) Admit. What are you sorry for? What did you do? I'm sorry for punching you in the face. Okay, I'm sorry for calling you a stupid head. Okay, all right. All right, listen. Apologize, make up, all right? Peacemaking is about reconciliation. It's about restoring broken relationships. Watch this, watch this. In American culture, we're not good at this. We're good at peacekeeping. I'm just not gonna deal with them anymore. I'm gonna brush them off. I'm done with them, I'm done. But we're not good at peacemaking, which means I've gotta enter back into the conflict and I've gotta try to resolve it. Now watch this though, 
Not every situation gets resolved. Sometimes peacemaking is parting ways. Listen, if someone is harming me, listen, peacemaking doesn't mean that I continually stay in a relationship where I'm constantly harmed. That's not peacemaking. That's a doormat. God never called you to be that. But I am going to attempt with everything within my power to restore this relationship. But here's the deal. Reconciliation and restoration requires two people. So there is a chance that you tried to do that and they, they just didn't want it. That's not on you anymore. That's okay. But we just live in a society now where everybody's peacekeepers. Oh, we're just not going to talk about it. We're just not talking about it. And we sweep it under the rug and we think we're keeping peace, but we're actually keeping bitterness. Right? And you go, well, how do you know? Because the next time you go over to that person's house, you're like, I ain't talking to them. I ain't talking to them. I'm going to sit on this side. And if they need something, they can come talk to me. That's not, that's not peacemaking. That's peacekeeping. Okay? And, but God has called us. Yet again, right? Jesus raises the bar. And he flips it upside down. And he says, oh, you think you're holy because you're keeping peace. You're not, though. You need to make some peace. It means you need to go and you need to get into that relationship. Hey, by the way, we talk about spiritual family here all the time. Hey, welcome home. Glad you're here. Glad you're part of our spiritual family. Hey, listen, spiritual family's messy. You're going to offend each other. You're going to say stupid stuff. You're going to, this is, I do this, you do this. Hey, listen, you don't, but you don't fight in relationships. You fight for them. Are y'all with me? Every great healthy family fights for it. I don't just fight in it, I fight for it. I want to be a peacemaker. All right, and then he goes in at verse 10 and 11. If that wasn't hard enough, now Jesus is going for the jugular. <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, not if, when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! And be glad. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> if they're making fun of you, clap your hands. This is such a huge deal here. Rejoice and be glad for when people are reviling me, persecuting me, and uttering all kinds of false evil against me. How many would agree this is probably the hardest one? I mean, there's a lot of hard ones here. How blessed am I when people speak evil of me, reject me, and mistreat me? Oh, I feel so blessed. Anybody in here just feel so blessed? They defame you on Facebook. Mm, I feel so blessed right now. They don't want to talk to me. When they do talk about me, they're spreading all these lies about me. I just, God, how can I get so blessed? And Jesus is flipping the script yet again because he's reminding them, listen, your reward doesn't come from man. It comes from me. And the problem oftentimes is we get so upset when people say things about us or reject us or persecute us or talk falsely about us because we need them. 
We need them to like us. We need them. We need the validation of that. And Jesus is going, hey, listen, when you've got validation from the King of kings and the Lord of lords, it doesn't what matter what man says. As long as you know what he says about you, that's what matters the most. So blessed is the man or the woman who is secure in their identity in Christ that no matter what people say about you, you are still happy. Because, hey, listen, you know why the world can't take your happiness? Because they didn't give it. They didn't give it. Why are Christians so miserable? Because they've attached their well-being to things that can never give them true satisfaction. Come on, Christians. We find our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. We find our affirmation in Christ and Christ alone. We find our hope in Christ and Christ alone. And he alone is where we get it. So we can go through anything in life and have full satisfaction, full acceptance, and full approval because it comes from him. And you didn't give it to me, so you can't take it away. Are y'all with me? This is huge here. This is huge. This is huge. Number three, last one, we're done. The blessed life can only be found when you realize you need Jesus. The blessed life starts on the inside, not on the outside. The blessed life is not an easy life. And the blessed life can only be found when you realize you need Jesus. Now let's go to the first one. Chapter five, verse three, the very first blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I don't know about y'all. I know what it means to be poor in wallet. Anybody? Anybody? Like, I know what it means to be poor in checking account. But what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Now, that word poor can mean a couple different things. There's two kind of meanings of poor. Um, poor can mean needy. Poor in this translation, though, means totally destitute desperate or dependent, totally destitute, desperate or dependent. The kingdom of this world values being strong, values being proud, values in suck it up, values in believe in yourself, values, it values self a lot. A lot. And so Jesus starts the whole Beatitudes, all of the blessings with, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now here's the deal. Most, the majority of the people that would have been on that mountainside, you remember in chapter four, what type of people were they? Sick, afflicted, oppressed, possessed, outcast. Question, are those rich people? No, they're poor in more ways than one. And so when he's looking out at this crowd that feels so deficient and so outcast of their society, he says, blessed are all of y'all. Because in some way in your life, you're incredibly poor and you realize your desperate need for something beyond yourself. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
The story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, when the son goes to his father and says, Father, give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you die. I want you to give it to me now. And the father, being rich in mercy, says, you can have what you want. And he gives, sells off his portion, gives it to his son. And his son, the Bible says, goes off a far distance. And he lives a lifestyle that he's been wanting to live for who knows how long. He's got all the money in the world. He's got all the joys in the world that he thinks he can go and buy. He goes and he lives this huge lifestyle. He's got all the friends. Here's the problem. The money runs out. And when the money runs out, because he put all of his hope and his faith that he could buy his happiness, when the money runs out, he's got to get a job. And so he goes and he lives pretty much on a farm. And and he's now tending to animals. And he's, he's around a pig pen. And he's to the point where he's so poor that he's thinking about eating the food that the pigs are eating, which was just such a, uh, a disgusting analogy for Jewish people. And yet Jesus chose this one to show how desperate this prodigal son was in. And I want you to see this verse. Look in Luke chapter 15, it says, and he longed, speaking of the son, to fill his stomachs with the pods that the pigs were eating. But this is huge. But no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. Poor, poor. Didn't have any help from no one. And when he came to his senses, so Jesus is now standing on the mountain with all of these people who are poor financially, poor in health, poor in relationships, poor in life. And he says, blessed are you. Y'all all all think you're outcasts, but I'm gonna tell you, you are blessed, you're gonna inherit the kingdom of heaven because here's the deal, all of you have come to your senses that the only thing that you need is me. And the blessed life is when we finally come to this place where we realize we need Jesus. Let me tell you what's wrong with the American church. We're not poor in spirit, we're middle class in spirit. What I mean by that is We haven't experienced enough issues or pain or loss in our life oftentimes to come to the place where Jesus is the only thing that we need. So life is pretty good. And when life is pretty good, you don't need Jesus. The majority of the time people come to church, I've seen this for 22 years now, is when they have finally come to the end of themselves and said, I think Jesus is the only thing left that I haven't tried. And let me show you how this plays out. People come to church, they come down to an altar, they raise a hand, they recognize their need for Jesus. Maybe their marriage is almost failing. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they're in clinical depression, whatever. Maybe they got a diagnosis that the doctors say are terminal, and they've come to this place and they say, Jesus, I need your help. And watch this. And Jesus, being so rich in mercy and grace, steps into their life and he starts helping them. And here's what happens though. He makes us rich where we're poor. And then the moment he makes us rich again, we leave him. And we say, Jesus, I'll see you again when I get poor again. So Jesus starts off the Beatitudes with happy and 
blessed are you when you live in a constant state of realizing your deep need for me. Alcoholics Anonymous knows this. The first step, if you know, is that they have to admit that they are powerless over their problems. And he goes on in verse six and he says, last, the last, uh, well, isn't the last, but it's the last of what we're covering. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for me, for my ways, for my will. I don't know if you've ever been to a place where you're like incredibly hungry or thirsty. Maybe it's some of you right now, you're already thinking about lunch. When is this gonna end? But how many know when you get like incredibly hungry or thirsty, like it affects everything. Like you can't think about anything, you only think about that. And Jesus says, blessed are those who live in this world, but yet their hunger and thirst is for me, my will, my ways. Hey, the Bible says, taste and see that he is good. And that's my prayer today. That's my prayer today for all of us. I wanna end with a question. If from this moment forward, I want you to do this. Close your eyes, because I don't want any distractions. If you're watching online, don't close your eyes if you're driving, but I want you to, I want you to, I want you to hear this question, and I want you, to, now I want you to, to have the Holy Spirit help you answer this question, because we all need to answer this honestly. If from this moment forward, your situation didn't improve, your relationship status didn't change, your career didn't progress, and your body didn't get any better, could you consider yourself blessed? Let's just think about that for a moment. If nothing else changed in my life, could I say, God, I am so blessed so blessed now with your eyes still closed I want you to imagine this for a moment none of the things that we think that would make us happy Jesus really ever had Jesus never got married Jesus never owned a home Jesus was abandoned by his friends he was hated by people he was falsely accused and ultimately, he was executed for sins he never committed. Jesus lived one of the most difficult lives and yet was the most blessed man on the planet. Jesus became poor so that you and I could become rich. Jesus mourns with those who mourn. Jesus was the most powerful man, yet because he was meek, he allowed arrogant men to nail him to a cross. Jesus hungered and thirsted for his Father's will in his life. Jesus was rich in mercy towards you and I. No one had a purer heart than Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker, making peace between us and God on the cross. And Jesus ultimately was persecuted 
for my sake so that he, I could be called a friend of God. If you're here in this room, if you're here watching online, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here. God is calling us to lay down our kingdom and to say yes to following his kingdom. But it begins, the blessed life begins on the inside, not the outside. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus being the Lord and Savior of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to give you that in just a minute. But for those who have said yes to Jesus, you do have a relationship with him. But if you're honest, man, there's been areas of your life that you need to repent of. Maybe areas that you've, you've realized like, man, I'm not flowing in mercy. I'm not flowing in meekness. I, I, I've lashed out. People have persecuted me. I haven't held my tongue. I, I haven't been a peacemaker. I've only been a peacekeeper. And I need to repent of that. And I need it, man, I need, I need God. Or maybe you're walking through something right now. You're mourning the loss of someone or something. And you're in such deep grief. And you just need the Holy Spirit to be a comforter. If that's you and that you're in this room or if you're watching online, would you just raise your hand so I just know who I'm praying with? If that's you, just raise your hand all across this room. Raise your hand. If you're online, just give us an emoji or say, hey, that's me. We want to pray with you. If that's you, just keep your hand up. It's okay. Come on, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's no reason for us to have to fake in here. Blessed are us. So, Father, right now, Lord, for those that are here, God, just in an area right now of repentance, Lord, I'm doing the same in my own heart even now. We're thinking of areas of pride in my life. God, we just repent. We repent. Lord, we change our mind and we change our ways that only by the power of the living God. So Holy Spirit, come, change our hearts. Lord, we don't want just behavior modification, we want heart transformation. So we repent and we ask you, as David prayed, create in me a clean heart and put a right spirit in me. Put a right spirit in me. Jesus' name.